certainly a great privilege to be here this morning. As stated, we have a little smaller crowd than usual, but that singing was phenomenal. Couldn't have asked for a better song selection. Uh, Luke asked me what I was speaking on, and he chose that song just before prayer. I was going to ask, I, the thought was, I, I wanted you to sing number 71, and, but I was afraid to ask because that's a song that makes me real emotional, but thank you anyway. It's, uh, as I said, just been a great song service. What we want to talk about this morning is, is being nearer to God, to recognizing the importance of God and His presence in our life. So I want to begin by going to Psalm 46. If you would like to turn there, it will be on the screen. But if you would like to turn, we're going to read that entire psalm this morning as we begin. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall, be glad, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Passages such as these stir great emotion within us. It reminds us of the power and the might of the God that we serve. There's something amazing, truly comforting when we come to the reality that God is God. We want to talk this morning about how we should be still and know who God is. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Moses said in Deuteronomy 7 and 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Again, passages such as these give us great strength and great comfort. We worship this God that we read of. We worship Him because He cares for us and because He is more than able to meet our every need. You know, we tend to worry a lot. There are so many things in this life that is out of our control, and that bothers us, doesn't it? We want to be in control. We like to think that we have a plan and that we can work out the details of our life. To have control is to have power over something. You know, we grow up hearing things like you can do anything that you set your mind to. We often hear about following your dreams. 
And we are filled with these kind of ideas. But really, what does the Bible say about control? What does it tell us? The Bible tells us that we cannot work out every detail of our life, that we are simply not in control. For us as Christians, it's not about our plans or our desires, but rather we are called to self-denial. Luke 9 and verse 23 says, Then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Galatians 5 and 24, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I think about the rich young ruler we read in Matthew 18, where he came to Christ and he had a very honorable question. He asked Christ, he said, what is it that I should do to gain eternal life? But I think it's unique in the way he presented that. He said, what good thing must I do? In other words, some, how can I plan? What can I do, Christ, so that I can have this eternal life? But Christ reminded him that it was not that under his power, but rather his denial of self and, and putting his trust in him. Back to our psalm, Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> this idea of being still means to relax. Stop fighting. Now there, as I read this psalm, it says it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. There's some discussion as to whether this psalm was written by King Hezekiah as he was uh, preparing to battle the Assyrians. And there, there's many different... <laughs> Uh, ideas about who wrote the psalm, but I think it's very clear whoever wrote it and whatever the circumstance, the admonition to each and every one of us is to stand before God and to relax, allow Him control in our lives. You know, we fight and we struggle and we try to juggle so many things from time to time that we feel overwhelmed, but it doesn't have to be that way. <clears throat> as Christians, as the children of God, it is not about our perspective, but rather we need to be shaped by, the, by God's perspective and, and the things that He prepares for us in life. It's not about what's going on around us in the world. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the, in the power of His might. You know, Hugh J. spoke to us last Sunday very specifically about this and about the shield of faith and how important that is. And again, it's about our submission, realizing that the power is in Christ and Christ alone. What it really boils down to is, do we really believe that God is in control? Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I want us to think about the verses that we just read and who wrote those words. Paul wrote those words from prison while he was in bonds. And he says, Rejoice. We ask ourselves, how can a guy that's in prison have joy? I think it's very clear when we read all the writings of Paul and see what his perspective was, he refused to be defined by the circumstances around him. 
he was reminded daily of where his strength was, and that was in Christ. Peter had the very same perspective. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything. Peter said, Cast all anxiety on God. You know, we tend to, as I said, we tend to worry. We worry and we worry, and then we fret, and then we finally pray. But Peter and Paul had the very opposite perspective. They said in all things and in every situation to pray. We need to pray more and worry less. And when we do that, what does God's Word promise? It promises us peace. We need to put our faith into action through prayer. I want to ask a question this morning. I asked this question to Rhonda the other night at home, and we had a discussion about this. What concerns you the most about the future? And I'm going to tell you, as I ask that question, my perspective is one of someone who loves this congregation and the people that are in it. I think about all these young families that we have, these young children that we have. My perspective is one of a father and a grandfather. So what, what concerns you most about the future? And there are a few things that, that we came up with that Rhonda and I did, and I'll put those up there, and I know you have your own concerns, but here are just a few of them. I worry, I'm concerned about this anti-Christian bias that's in our world today. And I think this is something that we've seen grow very large in the last 10 years, maybe more. But just this idea that there is no morality, there is no absolute truth, and that everything and anything is permissible. And that's what our young families, that's what these young children are hearing. We put up their misuse of technology, and I've... I'll explain that in that the very largest part of us have a, a phone in our pocket. We have devices that we carry with us all the time. We have computers at home. And those are tools that are great. We have access to information that's just mind-boggling. It's amazing, and it can be helpful. But at the same time, at a click of a button, we can access some of the most perverted, most depraved material that you can imagine. And that's a great danger to us. I think about tolerance. Our, our world constantly speaks about tolerance, but the tolerance is for everything and anything other than absolute truth, anything and everything other than God's Word. I put up there, for the lack of a better term, sexual misconduct, and that just simply means how our world has taken a gift that God gave within the confines of the covenant of marriage, and they've perverted it in every way possible. There's a transgender agenda. And according to statistics, a very, it's a very small group of people, but rather they have an extremely large voice. And corporate America is just adding the fuel to the fire, so to speak. Those of you who are raising children, if you weren't here Sunday night, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the lesson that Brother Mark Teal gave us last Sunday night because he talked about some of these very things. He talked about how we need to handle those and how it's so important that we teach our children a biblical perspective on these matters 
but yet at the same time we have a love and compassion for those who are in error. As we talk about all these things, we see that the world is a very dark place. But I want to be of encouragement to you, and especially those of you who are raising children. The world is a dark place, but remember what God is able to do. I think back to when the children of Israel were in Egypt. God sent the plagues, and one of those plagues was the plague of darkness. The Bible describes it in a dark, said it was a darkness that could be felt. We read that the Egyptians were not even able to move out of their homes for three days because that darkness was so severe. But at the same time, the Israelites, it says, had light in their dwellings. No matter how dark the world around us seems to be, we should, we can, and we will have light in our homes if we choose to serve and pursue the sovereign God of heaven. I read a, comment, a, a quote the other day that said, Light shines brightest in the dark. I want to be of encouragement. God is on our side. We can be light, and that's what we are called to be each and every day. So again, let's not allow these things to bring us down, but rather to recognize what we can do and what we should be doing as Christians. Psalm 42 and verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? In other words, why are you troubled? And why were you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. The psalmist here asks a question, and I believe it's a question that we should all ask ourselves. Why are we downcast? Why are we trodden, downtrodden? And then he turns around and gives us the remedy. He said the remedy is God Almighty. In times of uncertainty, God's promises are true. God's plan is certain. And God is sovereign, meaning He is above all and He is supreme. The truth is, difficulty in our life brings us closer to God. There's a quote that says, you will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Haven't we seen people in very dark, difficult situations and ask ourselves how in the world they can ever come through it? But yet we see them persevere and they come through on the other side and they're stronger for it. I think about King David. As we read in the Old Testament, as he was anointed king but yet had not ascended to the throne, he was relentlessly pursued by Saul. He was constantly on the run, living in caves. David came to the realization that God was all he had, but that, again, that God was all he needed. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in the heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To me, that's a very encouraging reading. He talks about the various trials, the things that we go through as we live this life. But he says it's through those trials that we receive the end of our faith, the fulfillment of our faith. When we endure the difficulties that we go through in this life, we do that in view of a greater eternity. Our Heavenly Father loves us, and He can clearly see what is ahead. And He calls upon you and I to act upon our faith and to trust Him because He has promised to deliver. We have the assurance that those that trust in God will be victorious no matter what life throws at us. So as we discuss all those things and all the, the difficulty that we go through, I think we all need to ask ourselves also, what is our response when we go through that difficulty? I think it's really important because those around us, our children, our fellow man, our, our uh, friends, they see how we react in times of difficulty. And that either reflects our faith or reflects a lack of faith in the way that we handle those things. Different people respond in different ways, and, and I think of others that, that I have seen go through difficulty, and I use my dad as an example. When I was a young boy, I saw him go through some things, and at the time, I didn't realize really how difficult they were. He had some financial difficulties, as everybody does from time to time. Being a farmer, he endured hail storms many times, but he was able to just really handle that rather easily, I think. He made it look easy to me anyway. Uh, he was able to just understand and know that, that we were going we to get through it. Paul says that we can have joy in temptation knowing that the outcome is positive in Jesus. Romans 5 verse 3, and not, that, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. I think it's in these difficult times that we learn a lot about ourselves, don't we? There are times in our lives that hardships bring us to the realization that our spiritual life is not where it needs to be. On the other hand, sometimes we can have a false sense of security when things are apparently going well. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I keep your word. Job 23 and verse 10, Job says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job uses an analogy here that, that is used several times in the Bible, but that is that process of refining. And we understand how a raw material is taken out of the ground 
it is processed and it's refined. And then in the case of precious metals, gold and silver, there's a heating process that has to take place for that to become that final product that we consider something to be precious. And that same analogy is, is used as we consider our own lives as Christians and how we handle the difficulties that come our way. God warned Israel that an absence of such trials could lead to complacency. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, he says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, Listen, he said, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. To me, I think this is a very great danger because as a general rule, we have not endured great persecution. We need to be very careful that we don't mistake this lack of trials to, to allow us to become complacent. We need to always be on guard. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When I read this scripture, I think of uh, a craftsman. I'm, I'm very intrigued by people that are able to paint or to do very detailed drawings, people that are able to sculpt or, or carve. To me, it's just amazing that you can take of a piece of wood or clay or, or canvas and you can make something very beautiful out of it and show very intricate detail. That's the analogy that's used here as God works on us. God does that as we go through difficulties and trials in life. He is able to refine us. He is able to make us something better and, above, and, and ultimately something that brings glory to Him. I think about coal and diamonds. What is the difference? They're both carbon. The difference is pressure. An in intense amount of pressure on that carbon creates a diamond that we consider very precious, but without that pressure, it's just simply coal. It's something common. Sometimes it's the difficult circumstances that bring us to the realization of just how much we need God and can bring about a very necessary change in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We must remember that even in overwhelming circumstance, God can use very small things to show His power in our lives. And He's done that time and time again. In the case of David, when he fought Goliath, the Bible tells us that David chose five smooth stones out of the brook, but it only took one of those stones to destroy the giant. I think about Samson as he fought the Philistines. The Bible tells us that he destroyed over a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. 
I think of what Christ was able to do in John 6 as He fed over 6,000 men plus women and children with just five barley loaves. I think about the story of Gideon. And that, to me, that's a great story. I'd invite you to go and, and read that. But Gideon, God told Gideon he didn't want him to take a large army against the Amalekites. And he pared it down and finally came down to 300 men. And as they went into battle, it says the Amalekites were like the sand of the sea. They were just innumerable. It was amazing the host that they went up against. And God used 300 men to destroy them. We serve an awesome God, and it's in Him that our faith must be grounded. So again, I want to go back to verse 10 of Psalm 46, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. This word still in the Hebrew is rapa. It literally, literally means to slacken, to become weak. I think about when times when you're just exhausted and you go and you just fall into your chair or into bed and you just melt. That's what I think about when, when I think about this idea of being still before God. We need to understand who we are and where we are in the grand scheme of things. <coughs> Paul had it right in 2 Corinthians 12 as he spoke of his thorn in the flesh and he asked Jesus for it to be taken away. Jesus' reply was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that another way of saying, Be still and know that I am God? How often are we really still? How often do we just stand, meditate, think about God's Word, and think about what He's done in our lives? You know, there are times that really make us to reflect on those things. I think about the birth of a child. I think about how God created a woman so that she could carry that child from conception to delivery. We then see that same child learn the very basic things of life. We watch those children as they grow and we see the wonder in these small children. I think about other milestones that we enjoy and appreciate, graduation, anniversaries, weddings, all of these times that we enjoy family, we think about the goodness of God and what He's done for us. On the other hand, there's illness, tragedy, financial difficulty, all these things that can make us pause, make us stop, and have a different perspective. Again, I think of my dad when, when he was paralyzed and how there were so many difficult days after we got that news. But yet, it was in those times that we really felt the presence of God. And I know you all have very similar situations. It's times like these that we feel that strong presence of God in our lives. And that's good. But shouldn't that be an everyday occurrence? Shouldn't that be something that we do on a very regular basis? I know we've all been very pleased at the rain that we've received. That's something that's just been on everybody's mind. We've, we've been through such a uh, dry period. And I know I've just enjoyed standing on the porch and, and listening to the rain and, and watching it. And we see the goodness of God all around us every day. It's just a matter of stopping 
and real, having that realization in our lives. As I said, sometimes we need to just stop talking. We need to listen. Another thing is we need to unplug. And I go back to the, to the technology. It's tools that are good for us and useful. But there's times that we just need to put it down. As parents, when you come home, set it aside. Allow yourselves to have time with your family to train and to nurture them. Sometimes we just need to stop commenting. You know, I've, I find myself always looking for a response. Sometimes I just need to be quiet. We need to listen. Listen to those around us. Listen to God. Uh, Jackson brought us a really good lesson the other night about, and, and he mentioned the importance of meditation. That's so important that we not only read God's Word, but that we take time to meditate so that we're able to, to make application. We need to stop questioning. There's times we need to just accept what God is telling us through His Word and not question. And above all, stop complaining. Why would we? How could we? When we've got it so good, when we've been so blessed. The other part of that is to know. He says, be still and know. God has given us a mind. He's given us the ability to reason. We need to understand and know who God is. Stop doubting. Have faith. I think of Abraham. We need to be fully convinced as we read in Romans 4 and 20. The Bible says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. We need to be still and know that I am God. Understand who God is and what He is in our lives. God is almighty. He's all-powerful. God is in control. We've got to release that idea that we are in control. God is my hope, my rock, and my fortress. So many times in Scripture, and specifically in Psalm, David spoke of the strength that he drew from knowing who God was. God is ever-present. I often make a mistake of, of when, when I think of that, that God is always present, but really, for me, the perspective is we are always in God's presence. There is not a place, not a time, not a situation that we are not in God's presence. And God's our Father. Verses that we've read today remind us of God, how much He loves us, the provision that He has for us, and how much He cares. And God's our shepherd. We are compared to sheep. And I can tell you, I had experience just yesterday. There's times that sheep are very helpless. We are too. And we've got to recognize that. And know that God cares. I want to read from Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. 
This is a reading where Isaiah is allowed a vision into heaven and he describes what he sees there. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I love this reading. I think of what Isaiah said as he saw into heaven. He said, I'm undone. Again, I think of this idea of just going slack, just going weak. He said, I cease to exist in the presence of an almighty God. In conclusion, I'll read Isaiah 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I am He. And even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. What comforting words. What amazing, an amazing thought when we consider the God that we serve. The lesson is yours this morning. If you are here today and subject to the invitation of Christ. If you've been taught and would like to respond in obedience, we would invite you to do that. If you have experienced difficulty, if you need the prayers of the church here, of these people that love you and care for you, we would also invite you to come as we sing the song of invitation.